0: Welcome back, everybody, to Courtside. I was originally going to do an episode like Saturday night because I ended up watching the whole slate of games for the first round of playoffs, back to back to back. Even at work, I was still keeping things up. Uh, but I was just too exhausted by 1 o'clock. And same thing goes for last night, Sunday. I mean, that Minnesota and... I mean, Minnesota-Denver, I don't even know where I can really put that series right now. I honestly think that's going to be Denver in four. From just looking at the first game because it was a sleep fest. Besides the mini fight of Kyle Anderson who has been in fights against teams and his own team throughout this season. Um, But we're going to give you more in general where we are right now in the first round. What the matchups look like. And of course, I mean, what are the storylines to take from them? Uh, A lot of big ones coming from the Suns as well as the Miami Heat's matchups against their in my honest opinion probably rivals in the past few years being that of Kawhi Leonard against Kevin Durant going back to the 2019 NBA finals when Kawhi was on Toronto going against the Warriors KD and then the Miami Heat third time in the last five years having a series against Milwaukee Bucks so we're gonna go into that a little bit of rivalry talk and of course break it down everything else in the first round game one in the NBA. This episode of the Courtside Podcast is brought to you by YouTube channels Highway Temptation and Captain Barbo, who make content on YouTube weekly. Captain Barbo recently has more content coming out. I mean, he just recently had a, I believe it's like The Forest, the second like trilogy to The Forest game, which is on PC. And then he also has a nice series on God of War, which I have to say hilarious stuff and there's only more to come so definitely look out for Captain Barbell and if you're a Sonic fan Highway Temptation always grading the best Sonic games there is and of course their own little fashion really unique stuff so definitely subscribe to those YouTube channels and of course follow this podcast so as I mentioned before earlier in this podcast I was planning to do an episode Saturday night after the whole sleigh of games for the first round to start off but I was too exhausted I worked in the afternoon Things happen where I was just watching basketball nonstop, also working on my laptop as things are going on when I'm writing for articles and, of course, getting ready for class and schoolwork myself. You know, I'm still in college, but I was just so exhausted. And then Sunday came, worked that day too. But of course, best believe I had ESPN Plus and ABC and TNT and whatnot on my phone watching every single minute of playoff basketball. So I am up to date to everything. As of right now, but let's just go into the first matchup of this year's 2023 NBA playoffs. The 76ers and the Brooklyn Nets game. Without Mikael Bridges, I don't really know where this Nets team would be in this 76ers series. Because he was balling out, though. He was really the only guy besides maybe Cam Johnson who was doing much. I mean, Mikael Bridges, 30 points in this one off of 34, to 35 minutes of play. And Cam Johnson, the mentioned before... 18 points himself but bridges was just on fire him and cam i mean it's been really huge these additions they've been able to get from the trade deadline uh prior before it expired this season because i mean now we actually think about the roster for brooklyn four out of the five guys did not start originally for this brooklyn Nets team in the beginning of the year right this is a brooklyn Nets team that just revamped their entire roster midway and Yes, they were the fourth seed. They dropped down to the sixth seed without Kevin Durant, obviously in the things that did happen with Kyrie Irving. There was this team has been through a lot, but somehow, someway they found themselves in the sixth seed with Mikhail Bridges, who has started for what no, not started, but played in like what three hundred sixty something games straight, which is I think is an NBA record for longest streak. But Mikael Bridges and the Brooklyn Nets find themselves against one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference, the number three seed Philadelphia 76ers, and potentially a contender. I don't know if they beat out Boston uh, later on in the playoffs, but they're definitely a contender, and they played like that. Joel Embiid, 26 points. James Harden, who, again, a lot of people said that he's not the same old James Harden from Houston. Obviously not. He's not going to give you like 40 pieces night in, night out, night in, night out, back to back. But... He had 23 points in this one and 13 assists. Facilitating very well and getting Tobias Harris, who honestly, I think, in my honest opinion, could play at an all-star level whenever he wants to. He still has that dog in him that we also saw out in Orlando before he went out around the NBA and found himself in Philadelphia. But, hey, I'm telling you right now, this 76ers team looked nice. It was much closer in the beginning of the game, I'm not going to lie to you. I think the first quarter ended like a 30 to 25, I think. 76ers were up by five. And then gradually it kind of got away until we hit the fourth quarter and the 76ers outscored the Brooklyn Nets down the stretch. And it's like, man, taking forever to end the game, right? I feel like every single playoff game this, you know, weekend, the first weekend of the NBA postseason has been taking forever and these games are dragging on. And again, I know there's like a controversy of probably... The games are not starting that soon. Why don't the other games start. I'm waiting and watching on my couch. And, and especially in the first round where those TV, you know, those broadcasts who are locally there to broadcast games, what well, they did in the regular season, they're still going to be calling the games in the first round. You know, it doesn't really go into the national TV schedule until probably the second round, maybe even the late seventh game or whatever, the first round series. But local, you know, TV productions, I mean, they have the green light to go and, you know, broadcast these games. But from what I'm realizing is that the games are waiting for, like, TNT and NBC to go and get their cameras on live for those games. That's what I'm seeing. Like, for example, like, t- yesterday night's game. I know we're going to go into a little bit later on. But the Phoenix Suns and the Los Angeles Clippers, that game didn't start until, like, almost 20 minutes like past what it was supposed to be scheduled to start it's supposed to start at 8 20, eight o'clock it started like at 8 28 17 something like that that is like I mean I don't know exactly what's going on it might be just a TV thing a lot of fans got anticipated of watching these games and they just have to wait um but again when you look at a team where you have you know guys with stellar talent you know you want to watch that on national television so I understand You know, TNT, ESPN, them kind of getting the go, and probably the NBA understands that too, so they've been kind of holding these games back. But, I mean, that's kind of one thing I've seen that's controversial throughout this entire postseason. But anyhow, the 76ers and Brooklyn Nets series, um, their first game in the first-round series ended with the 76ers taking it 121-101. Uh, The 76ers, as I mentioned before, a contender in this year's NBA playoffs and definitely could find themselves easily in the Eastern Conference Finals if they wanted to. Again, that means a matchup against Boston potentially, but the 76ers play like they are most likely going to be going deep into May. And then, of course, probably look like they're going to beat out Brooklyn in the series. Now Brooklyn themselves, I did see some spotlights here and there. As I mentioned before, Mikkel Bridges doing everything that he can, getting himself a 30 piece. Cam Johnson, you know Dorian Finney-Smith. I mean, there's guys on that team that really improve their talent, but consistency. That's the real question. Speaking of which, Spencer Dinwiddie, who also started for them at point guard, 14 points in this one. However, shot five of 12 from the field, one of five from three. Now. Spencer Dinwiddie last not yeah last season, last season he was on the Dallas Mavericks going to the Western Conference Finals, and it was really Luka Doncic and Jalen Brunson. Spencer Dinwiddie, in my honest opinion, I thought he should have been the second option. That's what I thought in my mind. This guy is the second option. Jalen Brunson is just kind of there on his hot streak. That's one in a million. No. Not at all. It looks like a year later, now people are starting to realize that Jalen Brunson was actually always the second option on offense for the Dallas Mavericks at that point. And Spencer Dinwiddie was just kind of there. And in this series, I feel like he's going to be just there. If Brooklyn has a chance to beat out the 76ers, let alone take at least two games to make this into a six-game series, Spencer Dinwiddie needs to be getting at least 20 points a game. That's my honest opinion. Again, as I mentioned before, Cam Johnson did pretty good. 18 points himself. Getting close to 30 minutes of play. But is he going to give you some big numbers right next to Mikhail Bridges? Let alone, is Mikhail Bridges going to give you 30 pieces a game? Or even get you afloat against the 76ers squad? Because Mikhail Bridges, 30 points. They still lost by 20. And again, this is a 20-point loss where you had your bench guys come in the last three minutes. So, the game was already over five minutes remaining in the fourth quarter I don't know about this Brooklyn team I really don't know about this Brooklyn team I think they have the talent for it uh bench wise you know they have Royce O'Neal they got Seth Curry Joe Harris has been just ugly in his game of basketball lately I mean in this game he had 14 minutes of play only three points to show for it and for a guy that shoots the three ball he was one and three from the floor all this shot's behind the arc they need something better they need something new in Brooklyn. But again, this is a roster that totally changed itself midway through the season, has gone through a lot. I think it's better for the Brooklyn Nets to make their way out of this first round series against the 76ers. With that being said, Joel B, James Harden, Terry's Maxey, they're going to get a good warm-up. I have this series going to five. Is that really a bad thing for Brooklyn? I mean, just to be in the postseason and not drop out of the playoffs and into the play-in this is not the best season for Brooklyn, but kind of the start of a new, I mean, future for them without Kevin Durant. Uh, if they Again, I know only game one, you never know, it's a long series, but I don't have Brooklyn going far in this one. And of course, I think Mikkel Bridges will do everything in his power, but there's no way he's going to be able to go against the offensive fight of the 76ers, let alone defensively. The way they play up on top of the perimeter, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. And speaking of really tough matchups defensively, the Boston Celtics and the Atlanta Hawks series. I mean, Atlanta is cooked. They got cooked in game one. The Boston Celtics defeating the Hawks 112 to 99. But there was a point at halftime where, I, what was it, a 30 point lead? Like, the Celtics were up 77 to 44. And Derek White, Malcolm Brogdon, Marcus Smart, they're just having their turns at Trey Young playing defensively. And it's working like a charm. I mean, Trey Young in this one was one and seven to start the game from three point. He ended up finishing overall from the floor five and eighteen shooting. That's a twenty seven point eight clip. That is insane. This is this is again the leading score for the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, the only way I see it that Atlanta really does even make some sort of wake in this series, that John Tamer is going to have to go off. And this is again game one. Trae Young guarded really well. It means John T. Murray had a lot of chances, and he took those chances. He ended up having 24 points himself. Um, But throughout the game, it's just defensively, the Celtics were just clobbering down on Atlanta. You got these defense turns to the quick offense moments where Marcus Smart just flinging the ball down to Robert Williams. And mind you, this is a healthy Celtics team. When was the last time the Celtics were ever healthy going to the postseason? When, right? They've always had some sort of injury issues. 2001, they had injury issues. 2022, they were fighting through injury themselves. Now there's like no other guy besides maybe Gallinari, who's been out the entire season. Ever since he had that knee injury that he suffered. I think playing in FIBA basketball for Team Italia. But he has been shown to play, I think, some scrimmage ball in practices. But either way. I don't think Gallinari is going to come into this series randomly, let alone the postseason for the Celtics, if they do make it so far. But this first game, the Boston Celtics, as I mentioned before, defensively was probably the main thing I would take away from this first game and potentially for the series. Uh, but offensively as well, Jalen Brown with a cut-up hand after he suffered some sort of cut in his home, grabbing a vase, I think. Then again, who owns a vase, right? Apparently Jalen Brown does, but he did come back in time for game one. And had 29 points leading the team. And also a double-double with 12 rebounds. Jason Tatum. Tatum is still lights out. 25 points in this one. 11 rebounds himself. So that's two players in the Boston Celtics getting double-doubles against the Atlanta Hawks. Two of their main guys. And 3-7 and seven from 3 for Tatum. I mean, JT has just been efficient. And they've been really attacking the basketball as well. Speaking of which. Derek White. Last season, before the trade deadline happened, Derek White from the San Antonio Spurs was traded to the Boston Celtics for Jason Richardson. I like Jay Rich with the Celtics. He was one of the best offensive shooters they had at the time. The fact that Brad Stevens brought in Derek White and now have him, you know, through that second half of the 2022-2023 season to be a dominant guy running point guard, defending point guards, has been an incredible two-way player for the Boston Celtics to now where we see him this season after a full season with the Boston Celtics and he's putting up numbers as the third best scorer on the team. That is just masterclass GM job from Brad Stevens. He just might, in my own opinion, just might win GM of the year. I understand he's like the president, but still, he should be winning GM for the Boston Celtics. Derek White, 24 points, 5 rebounds, 7 assists. And he was shooting better than 50% from both the floor and from three-point range. He was 4-7 from three-point. Derek White has been phenomenal for the Boston Celtics throughout this season. And as well, the potential sixth man of the year, the three finalists for the sixth man of the year, include Malcolm Brogdon as well as Quickly from the New York Knicks. Don't know if is going to get it. I think it's between those two. I don't even remember the third guy because I don't even think it even matters. It's going to be Brogdon or quickly, but Brogdon, he put up a good showing defensively and also moved the ball. Offensively, he kind of struggled in this game. He was 1-6 from the floor. Definitely was not doing much. But the one thing I thought that was kind of interesting about this game, the Celtics, who they are a little bit more deeper than some of the teams in the Eastern Conference, they only played three guys off the bench. Robert Williams, Malcolm Brogdon, and Sam Hauser. And in my honest opinion, I'm thinking to myself, I mean, we're not going to see Blake Griffin. We're not going to see Peyton Pritchard grant williams and i think it's funny because i know in nba twitter for the celtics a lot of people are looking to see grant not be with the team anymore after he's been asking for these huge contract payouts but grant williams didn't play a single minute in game one and this was a game where the Celtics had a 30 point lead you think they put in their bench coming in but no not at all the boston celtics they ended up defeating the atlanta hawks 112 to 99 as i mentioned before but the second half was the only reason why this game got a little bit closer than it should have. Second half, the Celtics kind of slept in offensively. Bogdanovich, I don't even know what to say about Bogdanovich. I mean, coming off the bench, you're thinking—well, my apologies, not off the bench as a starter actually. But Bogdanovich starting this one, playing about 27 to 28 minutes, he was ice cold in the first. I don't even think he had a single point in the first half of this game. Three and ten from the floor. If you're gonna be Atlanta and you wanna keep up with a team like the Boston Celtics, and you have Trey Young being guarded lights out, you gotta have Bogdanovic getting some sort of hot streak going. I mean, when Atlanta was on a run in the third quarter and they ended up actually outscoring the Boston Celtics in the third quarter, 31 to 20. That's because of Bogdanovic and what he can do offensively for your team, shooting on the wings, being able to use the ball in his handle to get open shots, going driving inside, pick and pot. They need him to really work. They really do because I think DeJounte Murray is going to be fine throughout this series. I think Clint Capella is still going to get you those rebounds, even though it's going to be much harder with the Boston Celtics' size of Ella Horford as well as Robert Williams. But Bogdanovic could really make or break the Atlanta Hawks in this series because... Hunter's not going to do much. Collins isn't going to do much. I mean, the duo of Hunter and Collins... What is it? 23 points they put up together? And Collins, I mean, he was efficient. 5-7 and seven from the floor, but... The efficient 5-7 from the floor, a lot of it was offensive rebounds. A lot of it was also just being in the right place at the right time. He's not really creating things for you guys. In Atlanta. He's not creating things for your team. So, the Boston Celtics are probably gonna win this one in four games i think after watching the first game unless bogdanovic can really do something and again if that even happens five or six games i still got the celtics taking this one out i can't imagine atlanta or at least a world with the hawks could beat the celtics within a week's time that's what i'm thinking and now staying in the eastern conference uh the game right after that was the knicks and cavaliers game one This is a series I expected to be close. I didn't expect it to be this close. The Cavaliers, the fourth seed, hosting the New York Knicks in Cleveland. Donovan Mitchell goes off. And this is a series that I think it's funny as it is. Because Jalen Brunson signing with the New York Knicks. The Knicks unable to get Donovan Mitchell to come to New York. And then Donovan Mitchell ends up getting traded to the Cavaliers after like a week discussion with Danny Ainge and the Utah Jazz. Now they're in a playoff series, and this is like the two, one, two of the five top best teams in the Eastern Conference, and I think both of them dark horses, right? I mean, it wouldn't be crazy to say Cleveland could go on to the NBA Finals if they wanted to. It isn't crazy to say that the Knicks could make it to the Eastern Conference Finals if they wanted to. Like, these are two teams that I think confidently I can say they can go on a run if they would like to. It's the only issue is, though, they're going to be in each other's faces in this first-round matchup. Thankfully for as an NBA fan like myself, I get to watch it. This was insane. The electric to watch in the first five minutes of this game. Back and forth, New York went. Julius Randle, who comes back from injury, his first game back, he ends up finishing with a double-double. 19 points, 10 rebounds, and he was just everywhere on the floor. Defensively, he had to go up against Evan Mobley as well as Garrett Allen, and that's a hard matchup. That's two seven-footers are going to be playing and it looked like it showed in this first game going to be playing at least 40 minutes a game throughout this entire series so Julius Randle non is going to be down there having to deal with those guys in the front court with as well as Mitchell Robinson who I have to say Mitchell Robinson throughout this entire season for the New York Knicks I know he missed a lot of time due to injury but if he wants to make some noise of you know getting a big contract he needs to show up in this series I don't think he showed up in game one though he had six points himself, and again, as mentioned before, hard to get some shots up against those seven-footers. It was only three and five from the floor shooting. But also, I also want to, you know, it, it would not be right to mention, uh, not to mention the struggles that the guards for New York had throughout this game quickly, three points themselves. RJ Barrett, who is, you know, the starting shooting guard for New York that they're expecting him to get better and better year after year to be kind of a franchise guy. Two and twelve in this game. Two and twelve from the floor. That's not get the job done. I mean, don't even run. It did. New York ended up winning it 101 to 97 over the Cavs in upsetting fashion. But also Quentin Grimes, five points, one and five from the floor. And funny enough, his two free throws, which made up for just about half of his points, were the most crucial points. So Quentin Grimes didn't really show up in this game, but he showed up in the most clutch moments of the game. Um but I mean now that I'm talking about it, you know, if for those who do not know, the game went down to the wire. It was back and forth. Lee changes it like three times in the last three minutes or something like that, or last minute, or something like that. A missed shot and Julius Randle is getting the offensive rebound. He throws it out to Quinton Grimes. Quinton Grimes is able to get the ball, he gets immediately fouled. Those two free throws put the Knicks up by four. And they end up winning the game 101-97. to 97. The entire time, game started early, really close. New York got a 10-point lead out of nowhere in the second quarter. Then the Cavs just climbed back like crazy. And the thing that I even find more crazy about this Cavaliers team is that they stick by their starters a lot. Like four of their five guys in the starting lineup played more than 35 minutes in this one. And, of course, it's the usual cast of Bobley, Allen, Mitchell, and Darius Garland, who has been a c- incredible facilitator for this Cavaliers team in the past three years. And Okoro, Okoro played like 22 minutes in this one. He only had six points. He's more of a defensive presence. But what I was really surprised, Karis LeVert, 18 minutes of this one, 1-7 one from the floor off the bench. They need him. They really do need him. I think Karis LeVert is going to be like kind of the deciding factor. For this Cavaliers squad because of course you're going to get your numbers out of Donovan Mitchell, Garland, Mobley, Allen. But Karis LeVert, you need something off the bench. There's no way you're going to have a guy like Donovan Mitchell or even Mobley. Trying to help out your team through a 7 game series against an aggressive ball club in the New York Knicks. For 40 minutes a game. There's no way. Karis LeVert has to get at least 30 minutes and confidently be scoring at least 15 points. At least, I mean, put it as a minimum. But some of the takeaways I have from this series after that game one, I, I like the Knicks a lot. I really like the Knicks a lot because, as I mentioned before, I just don't believe the Cavaliers can hold off the New York Knicks, an aggressive ball club, for seven games in his series while playing their starters for at least 40 minutes. And maybe that even, you know, if they do make it out of this series against the New York Knicks I'll win it out in the first round... How is it going to look like going against potentially Miami or the Milwaukee Bucks, the number one seed in the NBA? How is it going to look like, fatigue-wise? By the time they reach the Eastern Conference Finals, you got probably two guys of those top four that they have injured. Probably not even playing their best game of basketball as they're exhausted, making their way to the Eastern Conference Finals. I just don't see it. New York, they got a lot of death, and the weirdest part about it, they got Jalen Brunson, who I think... Probably the MVP of this game for New York. 27 points he had. He wasn't doing much. A lot of it was a lot of iso ball down the stretch. Which I was kind of surprised. Again, Jalen Brunson, I get it. He's an on-ball scorer. He makes a lot of moves himself to get him those chances, those opportunities to keep his team alive. A really big usage player. But Jalen Brunson, 27 points. Julius Randle, 19 points. As I mentioned before, he had double-double. That was enough to keep this Cleveland team away. Now imagine if quickly, as I mentioned before, I had three points. He gets back to what we usually see out of him when they play at MSG. What if Josh Hart? Actually, speaking of Josh Hart, double-double himself, 17 points, 10 rebounds. The Villanova boys are back in Brunson and Hart. I think that's going to be a new NBA cheat code. Just get the guys who played in college together. <laughs> like that. It's got to be an NBA cheat code now because it works so well and it's been working really well for New York. But Hart... Brunson and Randall were kind of the main guys, but I'm still expecting RJ Barrett to come back from this game. This is probably gonna be the worst game he's played this entire series, in my honest opinion. I think RJ Barrett comes back. I think Quentin Grimes, he at least gets a little bit more consistent. Mitchell Robinson, I really want to see more out of him. I think he's a huge presence defensively, but if his offense goes, I mean he can definitely be a twelve points per game player in this series. I think New York's got it. This is probably the worst game New York will play this entire series. That's my honest opinion. I got New York in six for this one. But after that game, the playoffs finally started in the Western Conference with their very, very, very late game. The Sacramento Kings, for the first time since 2007, 2006, they finally made it to play a playoff game in SAC Town. The Sacramento Kings hosted the Golden State Warriors. This game was... I mean, again, these games have been NBA delights the last two of the night Saturday. Sacramento ended up being the victorious team, 126-123 over the Golden State Warriors. This is a back-and-forth matchup, as I mentioned before, that saw De'Aaron Fox, who did finish this game with, I think it was tied or second best NBA playoff debut for any player in NBA history, 38 points a rebound, five assists, and three steals. Actually, funny enough, three guys on the Sacramento squad got three steals themselves, which is like, wow, you know? And one of them was freaking Devontae Sabonis. Like, the big man got three steals. And I think one of them was, like, ripping the ball out of, like, Draymond Green's hand. And I have to say, Draymond Green versus Alex Lynn, I didn't think I needed that, that matchup. I didn't think I needed it until I watched it. On Saturday night. But the Kings, I think the offensively they look fantastic against this Golden State squad, who showed up an obvious good fight uh, behind Clay Thompson and Stephen Curry. Uh, Curry had 30, as well as Thompson having 21. Uh, they kind of showed out. And then, of course, Andrew Wiggins, now back from his personal issues during the regular season into the playoffs, 17 points in this one. Jordan Poole joined him as well with 17 points himself. I just don't know how this roster looks like, though. With the other guys, right? Draymond Green, eleven assists, nine rebounds. He got more close to a double double off of an and rebounds than points. Only have four points in this one and one and five from the floor. Uh DiVincenzo, three and five. Um, but they didn't even give him twenty minutes in this one. For good reason, obviously. You don't want to take off Curry or Thompson in this game. But Gary Payton, the second. I get defensively, he can be pretty good. I don't know how they're gonna use him in late stretches when they have close matchups like they had in Sacramento, where it's like you need guys back to back to back to back possessions to defend, to play ball, to get offensive rebounds, to get boards, to get, you know, shots up. I don't know if Gary Payton can really match up against, and I know it's going to sound kind of funny, but I don't know if he's going to match up against Malik Monk or De'Aaron Fox down the stretch of games in the series. Speaking of Malik Monk, 32 points himself. Phenomenal shooting night, as per usual. This is a fast, very quick, and efficient Sacramento team when it comes to offense. And it just showed. It obviously showed Saturday night. Harrison Barnes got 13 points himself off of really great shots. And then you have Malik Monk, who was just attacking guys inside with his quick first step and speed, driving to the basket. And even getting hard contested layups over, like, Looney. Which is, wow, where was this Malik Monk a few years prior? I was like, what and again, as mentioned before, cheat code, Malik Monk, De'Aaron Fox, both Kentucky former teammates. So another little cheat code right there. Former teammates have really started to get themselves going in Sacramento this season. And they ended up beating out the Warriors in probably one of the best games of this first round game ones in the NBA. 126, 123. That ended off the Saturday slate of games. And then Sunday, it was Majority Western Conference. And like the first game wasn't... I mean, the the games itself in that day weren't like crazy games. I'm not going to lie to you. Saturday's games were better than Sunday's game. Without a doubt. In my mind. Uh, But one of the most interesting ones was probably the 3 o'clock one they had with the Lakers and Grizzlies. And I say interesting because this matchup is just made for social media, NBA, Twitter... It's like something you see on ETV. John Morant. All the things that have been going on with his personality. Went to rehab after being. What? With a fight of a 17 year old on a basketball court somewhere. During the season. Comes back. And this Grizzly team who has this personality that I think is very unique to them. They go up against a Lakers team. And of course the Lakers always being followed by the media. LeBron James on that roster. So you know. There's going to be eyes on that. All the time. And. Between what happened with Russell Westbrook during the season, from what they were able to get with Dennis Schroeder, and Austin Reeves being probably the second best white guy to play with LeBron James in a Lakers uniform, this is a series that I don't have like, besides like, you know, press conference stuff, I'd rather listen to that than really listen and watch these games. But the first game though was in Memphis, the Los Angeles Lakers able to get the job done. And LeBron James himself, who had 21 points and 11 rebounds for a double-double, he wasn't really the story of this game. Austin Reeves and Rui Hachimura leading the team in this one. Rui Hachimura off the bench, 29 points, 6 rebounds, and the guy from Japan, 11-14 from the floor. And these weren't just like easy shots inside. No, 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 no. Five and six from three, a lot of jump shots coming in. He was lights out. Probably the best game he's played his entire career. And funny enough, I don't want to be uh, quoting a guy like uh, Desmond Bain from what he actually said after this game the press conferences, which I think also puts more in the storyline. But Rui Hachimura and Austin Reeves yelling out, I'm him, I'm him late in the game, which Reeves had 23 points in this one. The Lakers got the job done 128-112 to 112 over the Memphis Grizzlies. And a team that said that they were fine in the West in the voice of John Morant, who ended up having 18 points. They don't look fine. They don't look fine at all. John Morant, 18 points in this one, as I mentioned before. There's been Bain, 22 points. Like, the starters, I think, for this Memphis team did show up. With Dylan Brooks, who had a much better shooting night than I expected, even though he only shot thirty eight point five from the field, uh with fifteen points. Jaron Jackson Jr. of probably the the main reason why this Memphis Grizzlies team was sticking in it. He had thirty one points in a terrible night, I think, in my honest opinion, for him, having going up against Anthony Davis. And this will be a matchup I think that would definitely be looked on with a microscope. With Anthony Davis going against Jackson Jr., Anthony Davis in this game actually finished with, I believe, 22 points, as well as a double-double in rebounds with 12 rebounds. He was just outboxing Al Jackson, who ended up finishing with only five rebounds himself. This is going to be a matchup I think people need to watch. They need to watch, Um, especially with Steven Adams, who is out with an injury for the entire postseason for the Memphis Grizzlies. I mean, he's going to have to step up against these guys in AD, as well as, of course, LeBron James, who is known to drive inside you know, and could be switched on with Jaron Jackson Jr. easily if it comes down to it and probably would be a good thing for Memphis. Technically him being probably the best defensive player right now in the NBA. In my honest opinion, I think he's going to run away with the defensive player of the year. I think one of the other finals list this was like Brooke Lopez, which is like, you know, he has a pretty good defensive game himself and especially for Milwaukee. But yeah, I think Jackson Jr. probably the best defensive player right now in the NBA this season. He's got a lot ahead of him. He's got a lot ahead of him. But from this Memphis team, if I if there was a takeaway from this game, I think it's just Memphis, they are really exposed on their death. Like, they had to go off and sign Kenneth Lofton Jr. And Lofton, a phenomenal player in the development league, the G League, I think got, like, MVP in that league. It was putting up a crazy number. I think he even had a 40-point game. But Lofton only played 30 seconds in this one. Luke Kennard, who had 7 points himself. 2-5 and from the floor. They just don't have enough pieces. And again, number 2 in the West. They play great basketball together. But they just don't have enough pieces to go against a Lakers team in a 7-game series. I don't think the Grizzlies win it out. I really don't. And how this Game 2, which I believe they're going to be playing Game 2... Uh, Later on this week. On Wednesday. I just. If they don't win game 2. They're not winning this series. And that should be a guarantee. You don't go down 2-0. Going to Los Angeles. And expecting to win a series. You just don't. Memphis Grizzlies don't have enough power. To win 4 games straight. Let alone 3 games straight. I got Lakers at least in 6. Maybe I'll even give them the credit of 5 games. But the Lakers are probably going to run away with this one. And question about John Morant in this franchise. They're going to have to look in the offseason. I think they should really look ahead in the offseason. Not saying, you know, again, I understand game one, round one. But Memphis needs more firepower to compete in the Western Conference. Just because you have a great coaching staff. Just because you have a great team and a bond. Like, all that is good chemistry-wise. But that was really tested this offseason. My apologies. This season. I don't think it's going to hold for long. But that was the Lakers' victory, 120-112 to 112, to start off that Sunday. Slay of games. Following them was the Miami Heat and Milwaukee Bucks series. And this was like a rugby fight. My goodness. The Miami Heat were just all over Milwaukee in this one. Giannis Antetokounmpo himself, who was... And again, this is now turning into a huge controversy in the NBA charging what exactly is a charge what's a blocking why are players even worry about this there's a lot of questions about it and obvious reasons you don't want guys just running into people and just because some guy is like oh it was a charge because i was in front of them or like oh moving screen like the charging rules in the nba need to be fixed uh whether they do with it where you have these guys who are going to be just throwing their body ahead of people you know have that go against them but Man, I mean, there was a lot of things going on, and probably the main reason why Giannis Antetokounmpo might not be coming back like himself in Game Two potentially. In Game One against the Miami Heat, Giannis Antetokounmpo ran into the paint, ran to the chest of Kevin Love, and Kevin Love is no brick wall at his age. Giannis Antetokounmpo ran right through him. He put up the ball and he folded in the air and then landed on his tailbone. It looked like he had a lower back contusion. Would not return in Game One. The Miami Heat who had already had that time, I believe, around a double-digit 10-point lead, continued on Tyler Hero later on the game. And again, you love he basketball because it comes with that culture of going after loose balls no matter what, doing the extra step to win out battles. Tyler Hero did that, and unfortunately, he's out for the entire playoffs. Tyler Hero dived for the ball on a, I believe it was a not a loose ball, but it kind of rolled away from Matthews after he poked it into the uh, past half court. He dived his hand, right hand, specifically his shooting hand, got stuck onto the arm of Matthews when he picked up the ball. So it was like swiping while his fingers were there. From what I've heard from reports, he broke his middle finger, index finger, and probably the part that goes into the hand itself, those two bones. It's nasty. Tyler Hero was in agonizing pain. Crutching down. And for some reason, Gabe Vincent swung the ball around to him for him to take an open three-point shot. He ended up missing it, obviously. But Tyler hero I mean, that just tells you the type of player he is. Broken hand, and he's still going to try to attempt to get a ball through the net. It's a a tough loss for Miami. And I think offensively, it's a huge one because Jimmy Butler, who actually ended up finishing off this game with 35 points and a double-double with 11 assists. Is he going to give you 30 points every single game? Is this going to be Jimmy Butler from last season? That's that's the question I have with this Miami Heat team. So far, it does look like that as he scored 35 points. But Tyler Hero, he was a huge piece coming off the bench for this Heat squad last season. And probably the main reason why they were able to make their way past some huge matchups in the Eastern Conference uh, last season against teams like the 76ers. And of course, the Boston Celtics where Tyler Hero comes in and it's like this whole renovative squad on the floor for Miami where they just get buckets easily. Um, but looking at the rest of the Heat roster, Bam Adebayo, 22 points was a rebound shy of a double double, actually three assists shy of a triple double. Uh, Bam Adebayo, really, you know, working his way inside. He actually definitely has developed his mid range game a lot this season compared to what we've seen in the past. Uh, I think he's been more available to himself where it comes to playing isolation against other big men and he played against brooke lopez which i mentioned before has had a good season defensively i don't know if he's going to win defensive player of the year but he did take on brooke lopez like a champ and actually defended him pretty well as well brooke lopez only had 10 points in this one and the rest of the squad for the miami he the struce was loose for a little bit he had eight points in this one but still three and five fishing day from the floor shooting Gave Vincent 15 points himself. Uh, gave Vincent, he's like a back-and-forth player for this Heat squad. You don't really know which what type of guy you're going to get. You're going to get more than 10 points. You're going to get less than 10 points. Are you even going to get him at all? Um, but one of the biggest questions I have, it well, actually, two of the biggest questions I have for Miami. Kevin Love in this game finished with eighteen points, eight rebounds. And he was efficient from 3, 4, and 7, probably leading the team. Him and the rest of this Heat squad shot, I believe, 60% from the floor in three-point range, which is a franchise record for a postseason game for the Miami Heat to be shooting at 60%. Is the highest ever they've had efficiently behind the arc. Does this Heat team, I mean, a team that's aggressive like they are, do they really make their way beyond the perimeter? Do you want to trust... Going against the number one team in the NBA like Milwaukee and having Max Truce, Gabe Vincent, Kevin Love, and even Kyle Lowry. And I'm speaking of Kyle Lowry, terrible, terrible night. Two points. Only had one shot taken this entire day. Besides the point, does this Miami Heat team continue to go into the next games? I'm a, we're going to shoot the ball lights out from three. We're going to be aggressive shooting the ball from three. Or do you have... Bam and Jimmy Butler, who are known to go inside, who are known to make the majority of their work in the mid-range and inside 25 feet from the basket. Are you going to let them work? Especially with Tyler Hero now out, where you have, you know, another shooter who was lights out for the past playoff games for the Miami Heat, and now is out, and you have to figure out who's going to be that option from three. In retrospect, it's probably going to be Kevin Love as a starter, but Gabe Vincent You just never know. He's back and forth. So that's one of the questions I have about this Miami Heat team in the postseason. The other one, definitely Kyle Lowry, as I mentioned before. Two points in this one through 18 and a half minutes. They need Kyle Lowry like the first game of the play in Kyle Lowry, who had 33 points in that one. They need efficient Kyle Lowry because Kyle Lowry, from what I've seen the past two years, he's not moving the ball. He's not this point guard that gets guys open. I mean, he doesn't have an assist rating of, I don't even think, above 15 or 12, which is an efficiency that you need your point guards in the postseason to play, especially against a team like Milwaukee, where they have such good size defensively that you're going to have to, and I know it's going to be kind of funny, because it's going to be playing like Rudy Gobert, but like have like, a, you know, a top guys on the five perimeter, you know, out five. But Kyle Lowry, I don't see him driving in on Drew Holiday. I don't see him, you know, doing moves to get himself open against a militant or Matthews or, Even I mean, I just don't see Kyle Lowry producing in this series. I'm curious what Miami does with Kyle Lowry. Is he going to be on the bench to get Gabe Vincent on there who gives you a better shot offensively and defensively might be a little bit of a liability, but I don't think as much of a liability as Kyle Lowry is. I don't know. I think that's one question that Miami Heat fans will definitely have to look at from the three-point shooting, how they're going to look at it for game two and as well as Kyle Lowry. Later on in this series and potentially the off season, but let's go into Milwaukee's side of it. As I mentioned before, Giannis Antetokounmpo did not finish this game. He only played 10 minutes and 50 seconds. Six points, three rebounds, uh, 50% from the floor, two and four. Chris Middleton, who averaged 15 points per game during the regular season, 33 points in this one. He is the literal Miami Heat killer, the Boston Celtics killer. The Brooklyn Nets killer. This guy Chris Middleton just puts daggers in your team's runs. Chris Middleton, 33 points, 9 rebounds. And probably one of the main reasons why the Milwaukee Bucks were a little bit close throughout the fourth quarter until Miami went on that late stretch with Jimmy Butler. But Chris Middleton showed up for Milwaukee. Brooke Lopez, 10 points, as I mentioned before. Uh, Drew Holiday, I honestly thought... And, again, Drew Holiday had a phenomenal night, in my honest opinion. 16 points and 16 assists. I mean, I'm, I got, I'm not sure about the numbers, but that's got to be a career-high in assist. That's got to be a career-high in assist. But Drew Holiday himself, offensively, he was just one th- third from his shooting night. I mean, he ended up finishing with about 33% from the floor. Two and nine from three, which I think this Milwaukee squad, for a game that they had against number eight seed, they were not playing like they were the number one seed, especially for a team that hooks up enough threes to really win out on their own. Um, you look at Joe Ingles, for example, three and seven from the floor, had nine points. That's all he shots he took from three. Chris Middleton, two and seven, despite having a thirty plus point game, had a twenty eight point six percent from behind the arc to finish off their game one against Miami. Drew Holiday, two and nine from three. 2-9 from three. As I mentioned before, he shot 6-18 from the floor overall. Half of his shots were from three-point range. I understand Giannis Antetokounmpo is not on the court for the second half of this game and Chris Milton's balling out of his mind. But why on earth are you not attacking the rim? You know who's the second, like besides Kevin Love, besides Bam and Abayo? You know who's like the next guy to play forward for the Miami Heat? Caleb Martin. At six foot six, If I'm Milwaukee, if I'm Mike Boonehoser, I'm putting every single guy in the paint when they're giving you Bam and Bio five minutes of rest. Because Kevin Love is not going to be playing against Bobby Portis. And Bobby Portis can take advantage inside. And I understand Bobby Portis is known to be shooting outside. Mid-range is his game. But you got to flip the playbook in this one. This is a Miami Heat squad that could go on a run quick and is very aggressive. We've seen in the game one, as I mentioned before, guys get hurt against Miami. And the Miami Heat will even sacrifice their own guys just to get themselves into the next round. Pat Riley is the type of guy that wants to run back-to-back years with the same roster because he thinks chemistry is better. From his time when he coached New York, from the time he coached the Los Angeles Lakers, he put the team over a lot of things, and his regimen of his coaching style was aggressive, it was non-stop, and there's a lot of guys on this Heat squad that resemble that, and of course, one of them being Jimmy Butler, who I think is probably the best test suspect of it, Pat Riley, and Eric Spoltra, who, have anything that Miami Heat fans will tell you, uh, they might not like the team, they might not like the roster all the time, but they always love Eric Spoltra, and for good reason. The Miami Heat coaching staff, one of the best in the Eastern Conference, and they usually get the job done. In this series, I actually got Heat in seven in this one. Um, it's, again, I understand the last time, and kind of kind of ironic, the last time at number eight seed, but in number one seed, was when the New York Knicks in 1999 beat out Miami, who was the number one seed at the time. So I think it's only fitting for Miami to return the favor of NBA history. But Giannis Antetokounmpo needs to come back. Game two is going to tell us more than what we know now. Uh, this could be just a fluke game. If one thing is certain for Milwaukee is that Chris Middleton is back and I think he's playing at some of the best basketball he's had, Drew Holiday, still playing one of the best seasons he's played throughout his entire career. The question is, what is Miami gonna do offensively going to next game with the is coming back? I don't know what that answer is gonna be. But we'll find out soon. We'll find out on Wednesday. But now going to the second half. Of that Sunday matchups. I mean, they were, it was totally two different games, in my honest opinion, between that of the Clippers and Suns and uh, comparing it to, like, the T-Wolves and the Nuggets. One game was entertaining throughout. The other one, almost a sleep fest, not gonna lie to you, it was, like, going into, like, deep 1.30, 1 o'clock and I was just asleep for half of it. I'm wearing my contacts too, so I mean, it was like painful to watch it, but I try to watch all of it, which of course I do for almost every single game that I possibly can, but let's start with this Suns-Clippers matchup. Incredible stuff. Finally, in like, what, three years, we get to see a KD-Kawhi Leonard matchup in the postseason, and then first time since 2021, Kawhi Leonard, in the postseason, let alone, this was a matchup that I think a lot of people had their, you know, circled on their calendars because there's no way on earth, you look at this Suns roster and say, this isn't going to win a championship. If not, will potentially be in the running for the best team in the West, and most likely might even make their way all the way to the Western Conference Finals, but this team in the Clippers that are going up against them has... Kawhi Leonard on their side, right? Zubak, who has been honestly more than better in recent years at the big. And you also have Eric Gordon, who kind of found himself back into a more of a, I'm not going to say more important role because he had a pretty good role as a veteran as well as a spot up shooter in Houston when it was there. But he's in a much better place right now with the Clippers, who also have Trey Mann, these other guys who can obviously compete against his Sun Squad. Uh, You know, again, this is um, a Suns team with Kevin Durant who come into the Sunday's game against the Clippers, undefeated with KD on the roster, and as well undefeated with Devin Booker in a headband this season. They left it not undefeated, but with a loss. Uh, The Clippers ended up beating out the Suns 115-110, to and the only thing, like, probably the biggest takeaway besides the fact that KD and Kawhi were giving us just a show for the ages Russell Westbrook found himself again on this Clippers team, and it showed in last night's game on Sunday. He had nine points, eleven rebounds, eight assists. So it's not going to tell you a lot stat wise. And, you know, in Russell Westbrook fashion, he had three and nineteen from the floor shooting, as well as one and six from three. But his competitiveness defensively and also just his grind. Like the majority of his baskets late into this game and he just, it's just the heart in him. You know what I mean? It's says something that we really love and hate about Russell Westbrook where he has that cockiness to him where it says somebody needs to humble him. But he still loves this game so much of basketball. And you got to give the guy credit as he helped the Clippers win by five over a very highly stacked Phoenix team. And the Clippers were leading a majority of time throughout this game. Um, they were leading by 10 and then you know, momentum is in the second half and then all of a sudden you see the sun's back into it then they have a big lead themselves and then the clippers climb in i mean it was back and forth non-stop it was really back and forth non-stop but i'm just really really curious though because no paul george in the series at all if the clippers are looking to even get paul george pg-13 might play in the second round of the western conference so i'm not too positive exactly how he is, um, you know, on the road to recovery. But that's what a lot of people are saying. The second round is probably the ideal place that they'll probably find him. But the fact that the Clippers got a game in Phoenix, that's impressive. That is impressive. And I think probably the huge part about this is that Kawhi Leonard, 38 points in this one, didn't really, got zero assists. He wasn't... My apologies, actually, five assists. I've been looking at a zoo box for a second. But Kawhi Leonard, five assists, five rebounds, and 38 points with 41 minutes on the floor. I mean, he was doing everything out there for them. And it's crazy. At this age and this time period, he's still able to do everything for a franchise in 2023. However, Eric Gorn, which I mentioned before, much better place right now. Has a much bigger role in his team. 50% 50% overall shooting, 7-14, 19 points. And a lot of it was these threes that you would find catch and shoot. I mean, the guy also uses his body. He has a really wide frame to go inside. And I don't even think a guy in Phoenix roster can really go up against him in guard. Unless you want to see CP3 just doing some defensive work. And speaking of CP3, I mean, 7 points. And he got a double-double with 11 rebounds and 10 assists. Um, if Chris Paul says shot a little bit better, I mean, he shot... Two of eight for the day. I mean, they're going to need Chris Paul to do more. But, I mean, back to my original point. Kawhi Leonard doing everything for this Clippers squad. And Los Angeles was able to leave Phoenix with a win. I don't think that's going to happen throughout the entire time. However, what I also do see is that Pau, Norman Powell, on the bench... Powell's just going to be giving you buckets as much as needed. He averaged 17 points a game in the regular season. He ended up finishing uh, with 10 points as a starter in this one. Actually, my apologies, off the bench in this one. And then we also have Terrence Mann. He has 10 points himself. I mean, that's not too bad. You know, Bones Highland, 3 points himself. But he was more of a defensive player throughout this one. also kind of helping out move the ball more than anything. I just, I love the matchup defensively. I think it's going to be besides Kawhi Leonard versus Kevin Durant on offense, I think it's going to be a Clippers defense going against a Phoenix offense. That, that That's what I honestly think about this matchup. Because when you look at the Clippers, the Clippers themselves, they have an average of four blocks per game, six steals per game, and for opponents themselves, they're not known to really be successful against Los Angeles, what has come behind the perimeter. And this is a Phoenix team with Devin Booker, and Kevin Durant, who try to do their best, working the perimeter, getting things going for themselves. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. But the Clippers themselves, I mean, they're in a good matchup when it comes down to Kawhi Leonard leading the way against Kevin Durant. And then you got to go up against Devin Booker. And I mean, as I mentioned before, Bones Highland could be a really good defensive player against Booker. I think that Book will have issue also going against Russell Westbrook and Norman Powell throughout the entire series. This is a close one. Honestly, i have not saying I don't have faith in the Suns to finish out. Because, again, a terrific roster that has potential of winning a championship this season. But the Clippers are just a hard team. And losing that first game, I don't know if I really do like the Suns to make it out of this one. I mean, I, I got Clippers. I got Clippers possibly in six, maybe even five if I had to go that far. I think Kevin Durant's been good, but I don't think he's been, like, shocking for me in the past few games of this season and speaking of KD he ended up having 27 points 11 assists and a rebound away from a triple double so he showed up in this one but it wasn't even enough to go against Kawhi actually just looking at the stats themselves besides KD having 27 points you also have DeAndre Ayton with 18 points Devin Booker of course putting up a big number in 26 points and then what kind of Corey Craig, who averaged seven points per game in the regular season, 22 points in this one. They actually found a lot of offense through him while Chris Paul was struggling, as well as a lot of guys on the bench who I think overall from the bench, besides Craig, I think maybe like two, six points came from the bench for Phoenix. I don't have the stats entirely in front of me, but but it was a really good game. Uh, The Clippers, obviously, I think defensively have a better part. In this one. And that just might be enough. To beat out the Suns. That's what I'm thinking for the rest of the series. And then. And again. Don't don't get me wrong. going to be a close couple of games. But. I think that series goes at these six games. At the most. Maybe six. But now to the final game. From the first round. First all games. Denver versus Minnesota. I really. This is like. Like how the Celtics and Hawks. We're kind of just like this warm up where the Celtics were playing, you know, against Atlanta through the first two quarters. And it was like, wow, this has to be the most easiest playoff game we've ever played. That's what I felt like happened in Denver going into the second half of this game. Like at first, it was a little bit more closer than I was expecting. Like it was a uh, three point game after the first quarter. And Jokic, funny enough, Jokic fouled out in this one. Only had 13 points. I think that's how he ended his night. Let me double check here. Yeah, 13 points and 14 rebounds. But every single point he made was a spin cycle move. Some crazy footwork stuff that I couldn't even believe. I I think Gus Johnson, even who was doing the call, he's usually known for college football. And uh, also some uh, Big East basketball. But Gus Johnson couldn't believe it himself. Sometimes he was a little bit silent, speechless. Almost as speechless when... uh, I forgot the uh, the guy who was doing the color for the broadcast with Gus Johnson, but... It's almost as silent as Gus Johnson being told that Jokic is probably the best passing big man besides Will Chamberlain. I mean, I was a little bit speechless watching Jokic. For him, I understand two time MVP of this league, but for him to do all that against a Minnesota team where you have Rudy Gobert, a defensive stagnant and probably one of the better big men, even though a lot of people don't give him credit because I think there's a lot of hatred for the Frenchmen. But a guy I got to give a lot of credit for being one of the best defensive guys to even stay in the league like this and not be a huge force on offense. And as well as Carlton Towns, Cat. I mean, Jokic against Carlton Towns I thought was probably one of the better parts going into the series pay-per-view-wise. And they almost had similar stat lines. I mean, we're talking about 11 points, 10 rebounds for Carl Anthony Towns. And as I mentioned before, Jokic finished with 13 points and 14 rebounds himself. Both of them um, double-doubles. I thought Jokic was honestly going to go crazy. I thought it was going to go off in this one. But from the bench of Denver, they did phenomenal against this Minnesota squad who struggled to really score themselves from the bench. I mean, we look at Denver's bench right now. A couple of people that jumped out to me, right? Bruce Brown, formerly with the Brooklyn Nets. He found himself in this Denver squad as really good offensively. He had 14 points through like 25 minutes. Then you also look at Michael Porter Jr., who... A guy that kind of started off his career with a lot of questions Like injuries were a part of his trail to the NBA. And it's like, is this going to stay in the NBA? I don't think it's been like that this season. And you look at Michael Porter Jr.'s stat line. He got a double-double in this one. 18 points, 11 rebounds. He stepped up when Jokic wasn't there. It wasn't Eric Gordon. It was Michael Porter Jr. stepping up and finishing off this game with those 18 points and 11 rebounds. As I mentioned before. It was a proficient one. It was 7-17. Seven so it wasn't you know 41.2% from the floor. Shooting Caldwell Pope. I wanted a little bit more out of him. I'm not going to lie to you. I understand he got 15 points. Which was pretty nice. But defensively, I just want a little bit more out of those guys. I mean, you got, for example, Anthony Edwards. The young star of Minnesota. Had 18 points in this one. And from what I saw, he just kept on... Attacking the basket. And I feel this is exactly how Minnesota played the Lakers in the play-in tournament with Anthony Edwards. Just tell him, hey, be really aggressive on offense. Go get a bucket. And he was like that. And, you know, they did not win it. For some reason, it might have been because of Edwards taking too many shots, not making them. It might have been because of Towns kind of being locked in. I don't know. I don't know. I can't really put down a figure of how this game was really close in the first part and then just fell up into shambles in the second act of the whole game. I don't understand. And Rudy Gobert, as I mentioned before, like he had to be against Jokic a majority of the time to start off this game, and Jokic was like using him like a freaking salt shaker, just making go back and forth. he did get a block. I will admit, he did get a block on Jokic that I was like. Man, that was really good, man. He stood with him. So that kind of does give me a little bit of hope for Minnesota against Jokic. And potentially Denver playing a 5-out against Gobert would be kind of funny. <laughs> to have just guys just hugging shots from perimeter. I think it should be a really interesting series, though. Uh, definitely uh, the result of it, though, with Denver winning at 109-80. to uh, I was not expecting that. I thought it was going to be a little bit more closer. Um, and this one, I got Denver at five. I don't think Minnesota loses both games in Minnesota. I just think that target center is actually a really good atmosphere for the postseason. But yeah, I mean, I don't have a lot of faith in Minnesota. Their offense, they have a lot of great pieces. And again, this is a team that traded the barn just to get Gobert. But for a series where you have Gobert going up against Jokic, and it might be a little bit successful. You just don't have any other pieces outside of Anthony Edwards and Mike Conley and Towns to really go at it. I mean, unless you want to talk about Kyle Anderson, who, you know, throws a fight every single game now, it looks like. I think... I, I forgot what who it was. I, I think somebody threw an elbow at him or the other way around. I forgot. It was a random fight in the middle of a block game that, for some reason, happened. I guess the referees just fell asleep and there was just like, what, what? What's going on? They, they probably just fell asleep on it, but... This was a game that I thought, honestly, Denver supporting cast was a main part of, and they definitely showed out. Just in case, I mean, just in case Jokic does not perform the way he did, um, they probably would have won by more. But definitely the supporting cast of Michael Porter Jr., I mean, Bones, Bruce Brown, and also, uh, I think the second all-star in the pack over there, Jamal Murray, who averages about 20 points a game, I mean, he kept that going on. In his first game of the postseason this season with 24 points. And I thought it was also really interesting to see him kind of like facilitate the ball. Well, they were like in situations where he was like getting guard heavily. And then he has to pass it around. He actually found some good looks. He ended up finishing off with eight assists and also had eight rebounds as well. Um, but, But yeah, I mean, not even that. I mean, now I think about it. He put up the most shots with 22 shots attempted in this one. I think it continues on. I think that Murray is actually gonna be more of the offensive presence of this team than Jokic will be, uh, in the next game. That that's honestly what I think about this Denver series. I think it's more about Murray than it is Jokic, especially since the fact that I mentioned before, Gobert and you know, as well as Carnival Downs are gonna be on Jokic back and forth. There's no doubt about it. Um but but yeah, I mean I really do like this Denver series going to the Nuggets. And I don't even think there's going to be any complaints about that. I really don't. I think Jokic MVP season, MVP player. I mean, I think he's got it. I really do think he's got it. But before I go, um, actually, this part of the podcast, I'm recording it at 1.15 a.m. in the morning on Tuesday. I kind of procrastinated on the first half of the podcast i was supposed to have it out this morning well monday morning uh for the saturday sunday games but i just got really exhausted i got a lot of things going on with articles i do some edits on school everything in the middle work um but i finished watching both the 76ers brooklyn game two and the phoenix my apologies the Sacramento Kings and Golden State Warriors game, two, Unbelievable. Unbelievable from the Kings game. But let's first jump into the 76ers game, two. I thought it was a little bit more interesting because they continued to double-team Joel Embiid in this one, and they kept the 76ers below 96 points. The Brooklyn Nets defense was just incredible in the first half. Actually, Brooklyn had a pretty good lead midway. But the story of this game... Tyrese Maxey, Maxey led the team tonight with 33 points, a career high, I want to say in the playoffs at least, Uh, and a huge part of that was three-point. I mean, this is a Philadelphia team, last game had a franchise record for most threes made, I believe it was 21 they made in game one they had against Brooklyn on Saturday. Maxey, 6-13 from 3 Six of thirteen from three. He was hooking them up from the corner from the wing elbow. He was just letting it fly. And he am getting himself nine my apologies, thirty-three points. Joel Embiid, despite being double-teamed, double-double, and an impressive one at that. Looked like an Andre Drummond stat, honestly. 20 points, 19 rebounds, seven assists as well, passing it around the rock to Tobias Harris mostly, who also had a double-double as well with 12 rebounds and 20 points. And Harris, as I mentioned before, early in this podcast, same thing that happened in Game 1, happened in Game 2. Playing at an all-star level, he's consistent, he gets you enough baskets to keep you going. Especially with James Harden, who offensively was not a part of this game. Um, But still, running down the ball himself, he did move it around to get some guys set up. Eight points, five rebounds, seven assists. The bench, quiet, mute, um... Like, the only guy that scored off the bench, I think, was uh, DeAnthony Melton, who got nine points. Not bad. You know, 21 to 20 minutes a game. That's usually, like, his average. So, it was kind of like a regular season game for him. Uh, but McDaniels didn't get anything. Uh, P.J. Tucker didn't get anything at all. Uh, I mean, he got, like, eight rebounds. But 0-5 from the floor. And all, all just about all of them, 0-4 from three, I didn't understand why he kept on taking those shots, especially in front of the rim at the perimeter. Why are you doing that? But, I mean, from Philadelphia's side, as I mentioned before, the Brooklyn Nets, to start of this game, on fire. And Mikel Bridges, who had 30 points on a losing effort last game, he ended up having 21 points in this one. But Cam Johnson, with 18 points last time, add 10 on that, 28 points, 4 rebounds on assist, and a post-rising dunk on Joel Embiid. And the funniest thing about it, you know, Joel Embiid because of the win, you know, kind of let it slide. But Joel Embiid during the press conferences was like, "Oh, what posterized dunk? What, 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 what poster?" Right, kind of denying it a little bit. But Cam Johnson with 28 points led the team uh, for Brooklyn. Unfortunately, didn't lead him to a win. And Joe Harris still putting out goose eggs, zero points in this one. Uh, Seth Curry, 9 points. Royce O'Neill 6. I want a little bit more out of them. I want a little bit more out of them. And Spencer Dinwiddie himself, 41 minutes, 12 points, 35% shooting clip. Same story goes in Game 1. Same story goes in Game 1. However, defensively, they held this Philadelphia squad to 96 points. Only the 7th time this season. And funny enough... It is the first game this season that the 76ers have won when they scored less than 100 points. This season, they're 1-6. Now, we got that out of the way. Philadelphia taking Game 2 in a 2-0 series. Now going to Brooklyn after that 96-84 victory. The sac- I, this is a game I don't think I'm going to be talking about until 2 o'clock. The Sacramento Kings, I'm going to say the score first, 114-106. Sacramento Kings are able to win out all their games at home against the Golden State Warriors. And for the first time ever in Stephen Curry's career, he is now down 2-0 in a series for his first time ever. And also the first time for Golden State since 2007, which is insane to think of dominance. Um, but... Sacramento Kings themselves, it was more of a defensive game to start off. I mean, they were just cold from three. It's just ice cold. I think we were 0-11 to start the game behind the arc. And then, you know, De'Aaron Fox got started. Malik Monk got started. And the wheels started turning. Kings clearly got themselves a lead going to halftime. The lead was tested a little bit. Stephen Curry was making threes as per usual. Clay Thompson, again, I mean, Clay and Curry, man, last game. They give you like 50, 51 points. This game, too, gave you like, what, 21 and 28? They gave you 49, just about 50, just near 50. This, it's ridiculous. Two of your best players are giving you a combined 50 points per game, really, in this series. And you're not able to win it out. And this is a better game for Andrew Williams, who had 22 points. But Jordan Poole, locked out. 1-7 and from the floor shooting. He kept on trying to get things going on, drive to the basket. But defensively, the Kings stepped up. I think, you know, Mike Brown, the head coach for the Kings in Sacramento, he told him, hey, get this guy to the baseline. Don't let him get inside. And they kept on forcing Poole to trail around on the edge to go to the baseline. He kept on turning over the ball. And there was a lot of turnovers in this game. And I mean a lot of turnovers in this game. Let me just double check here. The turnovers overall... 14 turnovers for the Kings, 22 turnovers off of the Golden State Warriors. Wow. And let alone those 22 turnovers resulted in 25 points for the Sacramento Kings. Huge blunders for the Golden State Warriors. And honestly, one of the best games defensively for this Kings team who didn't show a lot of defense in the regular season and they kind of woke up. But this, as I mentioned before, went down to the wire and it just got heated. I mean, tension's been really building up in North California for this entire week in these past two games, and it kind of hit the fan when Draymond Green, who has been kind of barking at Malik Monk, who went off in this game. Malik Monk actually, who had, I think, what, 30, 31, I want to say, last game. I know I said it earlier in this podcast, but I'm not going to go back to it. Uh but he had 18 points in this one. Uh, he had 18 points, shot at 40%, so not too bad of a night. Um, but, you know, with Draymond Green kind of barking Malik Mug in the entire roster, of Sacramento, there was a moment in the fourth quarter where we're going down the stretch. like a 2-1 possession game, and there's a loose ball for a rebound right under the basket, and in the moment, Sabonis actually falls down into, like, this group of three Golden State Warrior players, and Draymond Green's right there, and it looks like, I guess Draymond Green's foot or leg got caught up with Sabonis. Sabonis, and again, I don't know exactly if it was intentional that he was trying to grab at Draymond Green. I don't know if it was just because of where he was at. But it looked like he held Green back from getting it down the court. So Green retaliated and slammed and stomped into the chest of Sabonis. And of course, as expected... Dirtiest play I've ever seen in playoff basketball. In the sense of me being alive in my generation all that stuff. In this century. I'll probably better it like that. In the 21st century. One of the most dirtiest things I've seen. Since like a Zaza Botrulia. Like it was bad. Just stomped in the guy's chest. Not even that. They're going to do x-rays on him right now. After the game. Green obviously got ejected. For. Obvious reasons. Um, And. From there, it's just the Golden State Warriors, they try to keep up, but De'Aaron Fox drived inside. They kept on finding open guys from three. And speaking of which, Donovan Mitchell, and not Donovan Mitchell from the Cavaliers. um, Oh, my apologies, actually. Not Donovan Mitchell. Davian Mitchell, also wearing number 45, also last name Mitchell. He averages five points a game, almost six points a game in the regular season. But Mitchell himself, he was electric from three and really in the night. 14 points from him, two rebounds, three assists. Defensively, as I mentioned before, this is one of the best defensive games I've seen from this King squad. Mitchell with two steals himself. 50% from the floor, 5-10. Lights out. Well, I wouldn't say lights out, but 50%. That's still efficient. And speaking of steals, I actually want to go down the line here of steals. De'Aaron Fox, four steals. Harrison Barnes, three steals. As well, getting one steal each. Kevin Herter, as well as Keegan Murray. And Murray, again, I, I want more out of him in this series. And again, the Kings have been able to win games. Murray, playing like 16 minutes in this one, only got two points and three rebounds. He had the fr- like what the NBA record for the most three-pointers made in the regular season by a rookie. And you're trying to tell me you can't get him involved in your offense? And don't get me wrong. its I'm not saying it's not working. I'm not saying it is working. Because obviously Murray is a better, you know, the Kings with Murray are, are a better team. No doubt in my mind. But I just want more out of it. If not, I mean, it looks like the Kings have been able to find a way by attacking the basket as well as moving the ball here. With Bunk, Herder, Fox, and Sabonis who have just been a brute inside going against these guys in Golden State. Sabonis. Getting near, he had played like 39 and a half minutes, 24 points, a rebound shy of a double-double. Got nine rebounds there, four assists. And even despite getting stomped into the chest by Draymond Green, he finished off this game in clutch moments and shot 8-12 from the floor. And and 8-12 from free throw. You got to align a lot a lot. He was just getting every single offensive rebound that he wanted, and he was able to get down and dirty, and got Gary Payton into foul trouble. Even Curry almost got into foul trouble, I think. I think he had a few, at least four personal fouls to his uh, under him by... Well, not... not Actually, not Curry. Uh, I think Draymond Green and and Kevon Looney. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Sabonis was forcing a lot of fouls for Looney and Green. Uh, Both of them had five personal fouls. We're looking at the stats right now. But that definitely helped out a lot with the Kings down low inside. Uh, Perimeter wise, as mentioned before, Curry had 28 points, Clay with 21 points. They were kind of struggling. They definitely did well against Poole. DiVincenzo, Goose Egg, zero points. They didn't even get a shot up today. And Kaminga. A lot of people talk about Kaminga being like kind of this piece for the Golden State Warriors that, oh, but who's going to guard him when he comes off the bench? You know, the, the Kings don't have anything. Kaminga has not been a present force on either side of the ball. And let alone in this game. He played like four minutes in this one. Only recorded a rebound before getting back on the bench. And for good reason. Just because, similar to the other games in the playoffs, you want your best guys if you're going to be down in a close one. And for a Golden State team that right now is looking down a barrel of a 2-0 deficit, they're going to go into Golden State into the Chase Center. They're going to look to attack immediately. So it should be interesting. And of course, I want to thank you again for staying this long with me on this podcast. A little longer podcast than usual. But again, I'm trying to get back into the groove of everything here. There's not a lot of NBA news going out during the regular season. But now with the postseason, I'm doing more episodes. Working a little bit less now. Summer's coming around. So, you know, got my shorts out. Got my tan going on. And I'll definitely be watching more playoff basketball. And I'll see you guys next time on the podcast.